Welcome to Tales of Glory. I'd like to welcome back my Tales of Glory listeners, my two listeners and a dog. I think we're up to two dogs now, so that's okay. We're, we're growing in, in uh, listenership here, right on. Hey, after several hiatus with me, I'm sorry about you guys. We keep having those, right? Things keep happening. I'm, I'm doing some stuff here at home with some family members who's been sick and we've been out of the hospital with them. So it's been kind of busy over here. I want to get back into the order of things. So we're diving back into my book today, A Field Guide to Advanced Spiritual Warfare. We are diving into Chapter 11, Spiritual Afflictions. Good stuff, man. Hey, we survived. This is actually our 40th episode. I know we're, we're low key. We keep it raw. We've, um, back to the only thing we've really improved has been some of the audio stuff, the microphones and things like that. But on that, we don't have our $2,000 Sony cameras. I actually have $150 Logitech filming in front of me. So we, we could still do it on a budget and still be the missionary at the microphone and get information out there. But it feels kind of good to dive back into material today, especially dealing with spiritual afflictions. And what does that stuff look like? So glad you asked, Mike. What spiritual afflictions? Hmm. Good stuff. So what is spiritual affliction? Spiritual affliction occurs when the human soul and spirit are oppressed by an unclean spirit. An unclean spirit is a demonic spirit. In the Gospels, Jesus referred to demonic spirits as unclean spirits. We know that, right? When that was at the, the Gerasene demoniacs, right? And he goes, you unclean spirits, come out. We've heard him say that. The reason why Jesus called them unclean spirits are covered in my book, Cosmology and Demonology in Genesis 1 through 11. I don't mean for this to be a cheap sales pitch, but as we put information together, I want to start building on top of stuff. That information was important. What is an unclean spirit? So the church defines demons as fallen angels. This may not be the case. So for your homework, go read Cosmology and Demonology in Genesis 1-11 through 11 to come up to speed. I actually wrote this book to be very meaty and very packed and compiled. You can probably read it in about an hour. I know that's breaking away from tradition. My other books, like I think the, was the field guy was like 300 pages long, right? And I think the advanced field guy was 250 pages. This one's like 117 pages and 12-point uh, font, so you can read it pretty quick. But it's packed with information you need to know. It's actually going to come against a lot of the mythology and folklore that's out there in spirituality and, and um, demonology that's prevalent in deliverance ministries right now. You'll see what's goofy, what's funny. And if you do the research and try to do the legwork of connecting dots backwards through what the early church believed and the second temple Hebrews believed, a different story emerges. And there is legal paperwork, so to speak, to confirm it. Say, so wait. Okay, Mike, you got us. Where do you find the book at? Well, you can go to a field guide to spiritualwarefare.blogspot.com. And there should be a link there. Or I actually put together a new website. It's AFG number two SW.com. Stands for a field guide to spiritualwarfare.com. It's an acronym. I came out of high tech. I have to acronym things, right? It's just by habit now. So that website again is A. F G number two SW.com. That's going to have the books on it and a couple of stuff about myself. And I'm going to try to start putting a protected contact link on there too. 
Um, I'm tired of dealing with spam, spam bots and all that stuff and the occult coming after me with stuff. So I've been, you'll, you'll find other websites up, but the contact thing is up, but it's not working because I'm still trying to get that to work. Still got to keep my IT hat on, even though I've been out of that for years now. Um, still doing coding, still doing other sorts of stuff. In fact, I rolled my own website out of HTML5, right? I just coded it myself. Got into the Visual Studio code editor there on my Mac and just cranked out the code. Yep, keeping it old school. Okay, so enough rambling. We are talking about Chapter 11, Spiritual Affliction. Spiritual affliction is when an unclean spirit oppresses, torments, and extreme cases completely compromises a human soul into what the church refers to as demonic possession. Again, look at these. These are steps. Spiritual affliction is when an unclean spirit oppresses and torments. That's like stage one. And extreme cases completely compromises a human soul to what the church refers to as demonic possession. Cases of demonic possession are extremely rare. I encounter these maybe once a year in my counseling office, and they're extremely rare and severe cases. I usually get a call like, help Mike, help um, my, my husband or my wife or my son or my daughter. They're demonically possessed. It's like, okay, you know, it's just you roll your eyes. Okay, bring them on into my office. I'll check it out. And what we'll encounter is more behavioral problems and the church wants to write these things off or their dissociated identity disorder. You've heard me harp on that a lot. We have to understand the difference between that and demonic possession. So again, if it's demonic possession, I encounter these maybe once a year and they're extremely rare. I'm talking about true demonic possession cases and we'll cover what this is. You can get an education here today. What's what? The Christian minister will typically encounter cases of demonic oppression, right? We get those all the time. Again, discernment must be made in these cases as to whether the case is demonic or a case of mental health and inner healing. There's a fine line there, right? Are we going down the road of a deliverance ministry of casting out demons? Are we going down the road of there's behavioral issues? There's severe trauma and pain in the background. So we're looking at inner healing. The more you understand both spiritual oppression and inner healing, you'll better be able to deal with the cases before you. They'll be more comfortable. Is this demonic? Okay, we'll go this route. Is this inner healing? Okay, we'll go this route. I worked as a Christian counselor, and I would guess that over 80% of the cases that came into my office seeking deliverance turned out to be inner healing and or behavioral issues. So you got that? They know I'm an exorcist. They bring them these people in. And I have to sit and discern what's going on here. So that leads us to the big question. I love this one because I used to teach cleansing streams. I'm going to come out and say it. And I won't teach that class anymore. I will not teach it. I've had to repent for it. It's just, it's stuff. Yeah, there's some good stuff that came out of it. But there's stuff they are unwilling to fix. And for that reason, I just backed away away from it. And I had issues too when I went to these retreats where there was a lot of ministers acting in pride. Hey, I'm a senior pastor. I know how to do deliverance and all this stuff. I mean, I had cases where I literally walked by a person, they manifested because I was an exorcist. And I'm not saying that, but I'm an exorcist. You know, it's not like, because I've done exorcisms before and the demons weren't swayed by these senior pastors who were strutting around with the rooster feathers. I walked by this person, they manifested. And so I stopped and I tried to quietly deal with it. And it got on the radar of a senior pastor. Let me show you how to cast this out, Mike. 
I'm going, oh, good God, why don't you sit down and take a lesson for yourself, you know? And it just totally interrupted the deliverance. They messed it up. So I just walked away. You know, nothing was, okay, dude, you got this one, you know, because it it was going to stay into chaos if I stood there. I have a lot of funny stories like this about cleansing streams. Um, I even tried to correct one of their class notes and my pastor got all bent out of shape at that time about it too. And I had the notes to prove it. I went, I do my research. Remember, my background is computational physics. I know how to balance equations, all right? I know how to do it. I know how to do the same thing when I do my exegesis too. I balance the equation. But you know, if they got their, their degree from a certain university, well, this guy says, you know, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. In research, sometimes things change. It's not the gospel changes. It's that we went down the wrong road, you know? And it's, if I turn something like that, I try to prove it. Hey, we went down the wrong road here. But that's when we get doctrine stuck in our eyes, right? Okay. So regarding cleansing streams, I ran this quite a bit. I had this question all the time. Can a Christian have a demon? That's the grand question. Any minister has been in this ministry for a couple of years is worth the grain of salt. Can equivocally answer the question is, yes, a Christian can have a demon. Oh my gosh, Mike, how's that possible? I thought if you had the Holy Spirit in you, you cannot like, you know, have a demon. Um, you know, <laughs> get over that. And this is why, because you answered your own question, only you didn't discern whether the person had the Holy Spirit in them. <gasps> But they said the sinner's prayer, Mike. How dare you? Heresy. Okay, here we go. If you're going to go down the road of spiritual warfare and you want to learn this stuff, it's there's a lot of, oh my gosh, Mike. And it's going to happen to you too. And you're, you know, some people are already rolling your eyes. Yep, preach it, Mike. Get on your soapbox. Tell them what's going on. So <laughs> I had this, I have to keep bringing back my old pastor. I, I hate to pick on him. I had a couple of pastors who had PhDs in my background. Um, a couple were great and a couple were, they had PhDs, but they weren't so great. And they just wanted to prompt up the fact they had a PhD rather than be a servant of God. So I've had really good PhD mentors in my life. And I had some ones I just rolled my eyes with. I had one particular one who was a PhD pastor, right? And he just got in my face because I mentioned in the cleansing streams class that a Christian can have a demon. And he goes, that's impossible. That's impossible. And just, you know, just totally got into me about it. And then six months later, Mike, you ought to hear this Pastor Robert Morris at Gateway Church. He said... A Christian can have a demon. And I'm just rolling my eyes going, are you serious? You just railroaded me a few months back because we had this conversation. I said the same thing. And, you know, because it, if it came from the unwashed, the un-PhD'd, you know, you poo-pooed it. Like, hey, some of us now do our research too. We just don't have a PhD yet. So being a Christian doesn't prevent you from stupid things and opening doors to demons. All right? Uh, you know. We all raise our hands there. We've all done stupid things. Hello, we've all been teenagers. We've all survived our teenhood. Like, God, I don't know how I survived mine, but thank God Jesus was there and I did, right? So we know from our old teenage years and on forward, we are capable of stupid things. We know from Adam and Eve and from the story of Noah that man's nature is to sin. God proclaimed that all men were inherently evil in the story of Noah. Go look that up, right? I think it was back... Um, I did a lot of writing on this one. It may have been on Genesis 8, where God said, man, God's inherently evil. He already flooded the earth. He already wiped him out. He already moved his rock, the, the spirit of life from all living organisms, except for those on the, the, the ark. So if we don't listen to the Holy Spirit and we go against his convictions and not submit ourselves to God, right? This is all the identity of a Christian, right? They're not listening to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And they do not submit themselves to God. Adam didn't submit himself to God. 
He was a kingly head, headship, and he was a head priest. He did not submit to God. Bad things happen when you don't submit to God and submit to the convictions of the Holy Spirit. Boom, drop the mic. That's how the demons come. They got Adam and Eve kicked out of the Garden of Eden, right? I mean, again, you guys got to go back and read that. Cosmology and demonology in Genesis 1 through 11. We covered a lot of this stuff here. I'm just saying that. So I want to bring you up to speed so you guys have reference notes and stuff as we move forward. So I'm going to start plowing through this stuff. So yeah, the sinner's prayer. But gosh, Mike, I saw the person do the sinner's prayer. I saved them. No, you didn't save them. Jesus did. And that's the attitude we get. Well, I was there and I was there with them at Starbucks and I led them through the sinner's prayer. And by golly, I got a feather in my cap. I saved another soul. That's good and all. That's good you evangelized, but be careful when we get to the point of salvation. It's between Jesus and the heart and soul of the individual. We don't know when they said the sinner's prayer if that's the moment they were saved. <gasps> what, Mike? We always have altar calls in church to have people come up and say the sinner's prayer. Yes, follow me in this one. I did street ministry. I had the toughest group of people. I had witches. I had addicts. I had all sorts of people I had to witness to. It took years years okay just because they say the sinner's prayer and sometimes they're being nice to you all right just get rid of you or something okay i'll say the sinner's prayer and then i'll go back to work oh man i had this person won't leave me alone at starbucks man i finally had to say this weird prayer they left me alone so we must also examine what we in the western church define as being a christian most church leaders are statistically driven they want to report how many souls were saved on a given sunday the fact of the matter is, and any inner healing and spiritual warfare minister can tell you, the sinner's prayer doesn't make you a Christian. We've become very shallow in our approach to saving souls. It can take years for the salvation of a soul. I had something funny one time. I was doing street ministry with um, Night Strike. And when I was leading, I had a church come out, a local church, and the pastor came out. And he was appalled that every homeless person I stopped with, I wasn't leading through them through the sinner's prayer. He knows, why is that? Why aren't you leading to salvation? I said, it takes years. And I said, I know each and every one of these people on a personal basis. They call me pastor. Because yeah, but I don't like the fact that you're not taking them through the sinner's prayer. I go, hey, look, some of these people are Christians. It's hard to tell which ones are, but I know who they are. And some aren't. And some of the ones who are Christians are here. They're working with me, helping save these other souls. So he just got flustered. He's like, that's not how it works. I'm like, okay, whatever, <laughs> right? So I count and I strike my next Friday night and he's out there and he got out there about an hour before me. He comes back and there was an alley. My wife used to work with some people. Like she was the pastor there in this alley and she helped these people and just, you know, work with them. And all of a sudden this guy comes out of the alley and, and confronts us. I just saved three people in that alley with a smirk on his face, like screw you, Mike, and walks off. And we're sitting there laughing because everybody in that alley was saved. They were saved. They're just being polite to them. So be careful when you get on your high horse of who you're saving. Just because they're homeless doesn't mean they're not saved. It just means they're in a harsh lifestyle or they're fighting addiction. So that's the point I wanted to get out. It says, we have people in church who come beautifully dressed, you know, perfect dresses, perfect suits on, kids look prime and primed. And they said the salvation prayer, and they're so lost right now. Their souls are so messed up. And they're struggling. They're struggling to be a Christian, and they can easily be plucked off by Satan. It is what it is, guys. And we're not addressing this in church because our churches want numbers. We have got to flush that down the toilet. We have to flush it right now. I know 
our job is to save souls, but it's not a statistical thing we report in heaven. You know, we're not going to get to heaven and go, hey, the mega churches are here. Oh my gosh, they got a million souls. You know, and it's 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 not like that. So it takes years for the salvation of a soul. It could be instantaneous or it could take years. So sometimes, like in street ministry, God put us in places where he was perfectly patient. He knew the outcome. He knew they were going to accept him. But we had to be patient with the people he put in front of us. And it's not being seeker friendly. I've had some harsh conversations with witches too. However, God steered me, you know? It's just, they were God's children and we had to be respective of that too. So the heart and soul must turn from their sinful ways and choose to follow Jesus and image their lives after Jesus Christ. Again, imaging is covered again in what book? Cosmology and Demonology in Genesis 1 through 11. So go pick that up. There's a lot of terminology. I'm just going to jump in here. I'm, if you follow me correctly, a lot of times I write books and I correct myself. You know, this was, this book was actually a field guide to advanced spiritual warfare. It was actually like a minor correction to a field guide. The field guide's great. You're in a haunting, you're working with people in deliverance. It's all good, all good. But as we stick, take the next step in learning more, maybe there was some stuff we had to correct in the other book, you know, and, it's just, and that's what a field guide to advanced spiritual warfare did. And now my newer book, I'm correcting the higher level theology in this book, so to speak. So I'm building on top of stuff. So as I talk here, Mike, where'd you get this from? It wasn't in the book. Yeah, there's another book out. That's why I made it a quick read. So um, it's it's not a correction book. It's it's a trajectory book of how we need to start proceeding if we're going to understand advanced spiritual warfare. So regarding salvation, it takes years. We tend to use a sinner's prayer as a ritual methodology for saving souls. A soul is on the floor face down in the privacy of the bedroom, crying with a distraught heart out to the Lord is more powerful than the salvation prayer. Let that one sink in. Why? Because the heart and soul are engaged and it knows it needs change and it knows it needs Jesus. And that's the moment of salvation. Not all salvations will be this impactful. I remember I was raised Catholic. So I don't remember my point of salvation. I was just raised up in it to be an imager of Jesus, right? And I commented back in another video way back when, I think it was um, spiritual gift of spiritual discernment. I talked about where at a very young age, God gave me a mystical experience where I had the intellectual vision of feeling his presence when I was in about fourth or fifth grade. And that's the moment I remember. Even So we have moments to remember, but it may not have to be a salvation moment. So again, we need to lose the used car sales tactics at the pulpit and employ more compassion as Jesus Christ did. It takes a couple of years. It takes a couple of years. And we may not be the person God sent in to lead a soul to salvation. We could just be one of many souls. That's something else we got to do. We don't have to be the one to complete the sale. We need to discern what is going on with the part, person or heart ahead of us and then back off. So what's this got to do with spiritual affliction? I work with thousands of cases of spiritual warfare and very few were non-Christian. What, Mike? I'm a Christian counselor and you don't see a witch going to see a Christian counselor. <laughs> right? I've had a couple, a few. I've had a few. So our misgivings here in rushing people's salvation can lead to spiritual affliction. 
especially if the heart and soul didn't repent and change their lifestyle to follow Jesus. I've had this happen so many times. You know what's prevalent at? And don't slap me on it. Remember I told you I'm a recovering charismatic? The charismatic church. I've dealt with so much things in counseling here with just poor salvations and stuff going on. It's because we want to be caught up in the experience and in the moment. And when the moment experience wear off, it was just an experience. It wasn't the true God trying to come in and change heart and souls. And there's other places too. It's not just that. It's just, you know, we're living in an age right now where I'm seeing really good people. And if I had one of my mentors too, was picked off by Satan, you know, and just had horrible junk happen. And he's no longer able to preach the pulpit anymore. It's just, you know, it's it, it comes in. Well, gosh, Mike, wasn't a Christian? Yeah, he was a pastor. Satan took him out. So it's just, we have to be careful. Nothing we got to be aware of, too, is what's going on with the person's heart and soul. Are they going on a healing over time? It could take some time to uproot all their worldly behaviors. And they, on occasion, fall back into sin. Okay, so my people have been listening to the St. Teresa of Avila podcast, which is called, it's called The Occasions of Sin, right? You fall back into stuff. You're trying to get out of it, and the enemy just puts you, it was actually God's trial. It's not so much the enemy. God's using the enemy to strengthen you, but this sucker stings. Oh my gosh, you know, I was got out of my drinking lifestyle, and I have an occasion of sin. I fell back into drinking a little bit, but I got myself out, and Satan just rides in you. See, you can never get out of your drinking addiction. Never. And God's going, that's not true. God just goes, I'll let you go through that trial because you weren't completely healed. And I wanted to demonstrate you weren't completely healed. Now let's fix it. Let's fix the issue. But if you don't address this in the right way, you know, Satan can pluck you out. It's like, you're not going to be a Christian. You might as well give up now. And the person just goes back, falls in their drinking. God didn't write you off though. And the struggle continues, right? So transformation of the heart and soul takes a while. It's a walkout with Jesus Christ. Prayer and developing an interior prayer life is how these people grow and leave their sinful behaviors. When we ignore our worldly behaviors and do not grow in Jesus Christ is when spiritual affliction takes root, like a festering spiritual, flesh-eating spiritual bacteria, right? It sounds nasty, but it's what it is. Because the whole thing is it wants to consume your spirituality. It just wants to, it starts little like a little festering sore and then it won't go away. And it just gets bigger and bigger and nastier and uglier and we can't hide it anymore. Right, you're sitting in church, you're scratching it like crazy, picking at it, whatever you're doing. We are all blessed with free will. And when we ignore the Holy Spirit's convictions and the inner voice of Jesus Christ, we are capable of incredibly stupid things that can curse us. We do it to ourselves, guys. We do it to ourselves. And we, like I said, we have convictions of the Holy Spirit of how God talks to us, and we have the inner voice of Jesus Christ. Christians are not immune to demonic oppression or possession. There's no scripture in the Bible that supports that Western church myth. Sorry, cleansing streams. It's not there. In fact, God can use demonic oppressors as a trial to help us grow deeper in prayer. What, Mike? What'd you say? Okay, again, this isn't heresy. You know, don't throw the cabbage. Don't put me in a stockade. For those of you who've been in the podcast going through St. Teresa of Avila, the Fifth Mansions, she covers it in there. Check the Tales of Glory podcast. I think it was episode 32. We covered it in that podcast. 
God can use trials. And if we're stronger souls going into more mystical areas of our interior prayer life, he will permit the demonic. And it's how strong our soul is and how we grow over it. So, case history and developing interior prayer life and deep prayer life says the opposite of what the Western modern church believes. And that's why I just want to kick that can down the road because it's not true. So, spiritual affliction. What are the stages of spiritual affliction and degrees of increasing affliction? Number one is spiritual oppression. That's what most Christians encounter. Something bad happens, you're having a bad week or having a bad season. It could be spiritual oppression, and we most of us encounter that. The second one of increasing is spiritual obsession. That's when we're obsessing over spiritual activity. We may have moved into a house that may have spiritual activity into it, and we begin to obsess over it. Or something when I work with the occult with, they like to possibly curse somebody and the person keeps calling their pastor. They're doing it to me again. They're doing it to me again. I can see it right now. The occult has put that person into a state of spiritual obsession. And it's very difficult to work with. And I'm going to discuss it. Then there's a spiritual attachment to discuss. Again, this may come from a haunting too, or a, a tainted object or something where there's something spiritual attached to it. That's no bueno. And it starts attaching to your life and oppresses your soul heavily and it could move towards possession. That's our next stage, spiritual possession. That's the major no bueno. That's when the soul and mind are completely compromised at the will of Satan. And I hate saying Satan because that's more Catholic churchy, or at the will of the unclean spirit. Because remember, when we start talking about Satan, he's a high-level satanic angel, and he has his grunt workers. He's not going to possess a person. We get confused because we see in the Gospels where we see the, the, the scripture, Satan entered Jude. Okay, yeah, that's a high-level angel that entered Jude, Judas, excuse me, Judas, entered Judas. Why did the high-level angel enter Judas? Because his target was to bring down Jesus. So, of course, that's a case where we see in the Bible, Satan can do demonic possession, but there was a high-level target, and it wasn't Judas. It was to bring down Jesus. And that's when we see something high level like that. Otherwise, it's the low level, you know, gangbanger, grunt version, unclean spirits. And what I want to separate from all this too is you'll get people who are spiritually abused, they need inner healing. And we'll go through that because that's different. That's an inner healing path. Well, actually, let's start there and go backwards since we're here. And the reason I want to do that because, um, Ritually abused and spiritually abused doesn't really have anything to do with spiritual obsession, obsession, or possession. And why it is because the demons most typically aren't there anymore. And it's hard for a deliverance minister to judge this because they've been severely traumatized and tortured into deliberately fracturing their soul into personalities that participate in rituals. And in some cases, some of these human parts are designed to behave and act like demons. And unless you work with ritual abuse, you can't tell a difference. What you will see is a deliverance minister who doesn't work on this. The person comes and goes, help. I'm being attacked by principalities. 
and they come after me and you're going, what? You know, and if you read my book, Cosmology and Demonology, you'll understand why principalities don't attack people. But it's a common red flag for initially to uncover a picture of ritual abuse. It's one of the, the red flags I see. It's not, it's not a, um, indicative of ritual abuse, but a lot of times the ones that come into my office, they start spouting this and you're just trying to dig deeper, like what on earth's going on? And then that's when I start uncovering the dissociated parts. Presence of dissociated parts, again, is not indicative of ritual abuse. It just goes deeper and deeper. You have to learn how to work with it. In which case, this is all inner healing where you bring the parts into alignment to meet with Jesus and they get saved and they go off with Jesus for healing. It's inner healing. There's no deliverance. On occasion, there may be some sort of demon with them or something. I said, once the part accepts Jesus, it's a very graceful, simple deliverance where Jesus comes in, just punts punts the demon out of there. It's not like a deliverance that we're aware of. It's very different. Learn how to work with it. And if you don't find people, um, it's very difficult to find somebody who knows how to work with ritual abuse. There's a lot of people out there, and there's a lot of people out there that don't know how to work with it. They don't know. Um, it's just, it, it is what it is. I'm so sorry you know, for these people and stuff too, because um, a lot of charismatic, <laughs> that's number one, if it's charismatic, walk out the door. Turn around about face and walk out the door. Um, again, like I said, I'm a recovering charismatic. I, I experience supernatural experience, healing experience, warfare, all sorts of stuff. But there's such a, a bent tendency right now in that area. Anything with inner healing and deliverance, it's just, it's, 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 I don't know. I'd steer away from it. That's just my warning. Okay. Let's go back up to spiritual oppression, which most Christians may encounter. What does this look like? It's, it could be something that's been in the family, a dysfunctional family. And the spirit doesn't have to be there, but the spirit made the family dysfunctional. And I want to jump into real quick a little um, side on generational curses. Some of you know I've been studying Hebrew um, as a passion. I've been trying to put all the spiritual warfare stuff back into context. And for my next set of research, I may go after this generational curse stuff. Because what the generational curse in the Bible states in the Torah, the Tanakh, it's not like God's going to curse these people for generations. It was more of a warning. If you participate in this stuff, your family will be messed up for generations. Do you follow the difference there? It can be messed up for three to four generations or longer because you guys didn't choose to bring Jesus into the situation or choose to follow God as righteous people. And your family line is going to be dysfunctional. This is going to be messed up. And what he's pointing back to, again, so you have to learn to read the Tanakh and the Torah. He's pointing back to Cain. Look at Cain's genealogy. Again, it's in, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, guys. It's in cosmology and demonology in Genesis 1 through 11. I covered it there too. The generational curses is a hyperbole back to Cain and his messed up generations. Okay. God's giving us a warning in Deuteronomy. It's not like, oh, generational curses. However, on the flip side, I've also seen where the demonic have been present through through um, bloodlines. It's there too. So we just can't jump in and dive in and go, hey, it's a generational curse. We'll just pray it off. Take time to find out what's going on. You can, you can pray to get it off. I think a lot of times too, this is a 
big money winner for the the corporate deliverances like you know the cleansing streams i'm harping on them i know but it's a lot like them and generational curse you got a generational curse let's get that off you right now i don't see a lot of families with generational curses that are like that if there's demonic present usually it's there with the generational curse sometimes but not always i know um it's just we we get all excited oh my gosh the demon generational curses are not in the direction we've been led to believe through deliverance ministry deliverance ministry needs to go through a lot of correction that's why that's why i actually wrote that book cosmology and demonology we need to bring a lot of correction to what's going through right now um, we need to toss out the rooting demons book you've got that in your bookshelf right now go toss it in the trash and you'll learn why in cosmology and demonology sorry it is what it is so we could have oppression right something something, something demonic could be oppressing somebody you could be in a house where there was just bad vibes. There's always anger. You know, something's like stuff can maintain the splinters of the house too in the dust, right? And we just have to bless the house, get it out, and let the oppression lift. So basic oppression is what unclean spirits can bring to us no matter what. They can do it. Through illness, other things too, they can do it. The next stage is spiritual obsession. That's when we're obsessing over in any all spiritual activities. I hate these phone calls because the people that come to me in spiritual obsession don't want help. They just want to show you that spiritual activity is going on. Did you hear what I said? And these people will suck the life out of you because they don't want help. And if they don't listen to you to the first three or four phone calls, don't return their calls. You're done with them. It is what it is. And that's, we have to be authoritative in how we deal with these people. What is a case of obsession? For instance, the most common one. I'm an intercessor and I know these witches have cursed me and I drive around town. They follow me and they look at me and they, they do stuff to me and they put stuff at my house. Oh, there they are again. Hold on. Look at my window. I see them looking at me now. You know, and that sort of thing. There could be some dissociative identity disorder with this one because I've seen it like that too. There's mental illness. They need inner healing. But a lot of times they like the attention this brings them so they don't want to be healed and they will not listen to you. Therefore, you, the minister, do not exasperate yourselves with them. Ouch, right? If they're not going to listen, if they're listening, fine. And you see things getting better and better and they're coming out of it, fine, do it. But like I said, after the third or fourth phone call, you're spinning your wheels in the mud, you're done with them. They are not submitting to the authority of Jesus Christ and you'll, you'll get nowhere with them. So obsessions, you'll get that with people in house hauntings too. I've had that. Uh, I had a person who was actually going to a, who was a Christian. Let me go this way. This was a while back. This was funny. So I went out to do a house blessing and this guy was a Christian and he's telling about how these demons are just oppressing him. And so we walk through his house and, and um, I go in his bedroom and there's, there's pictures of a woman there. And I say, hey, um, I didn't know you're married. He goes, oh, I'm not. I go, oh, okay, I see. Um, does she live here? Oh yeah, we live together. I go, oh, wait a minute, what? You're, you come to me for um, demonic activity in a house. You're not even obeying the rules of God's um, thing for marriage. And he goes, well, you know, I'm not one of those type of Christians. And I go, well, I am. And if you're not going to submit to God, he's not going to help you with this demonic stuff. So you need to start cleaning some stuff here in your own life before we start getting to this. And he got all ticked off, you know, so I exited the house. There was demonic activity in the house. It was there. We saw it. But if he's going to do stupid things and not even fix the little stuff first to show he's trying to work with Jesus, you're gone. Don't be sucked in the fact, oh, it's a demon, we're going to kick it out. Like, you know, yeah. 
Too, other, too many other wars battles will happen with you, even if he's working with this guy's working with you. You don't want any extra junk, an extra junk like that where he's not going to cooperate. He's not going to submit. It becomes a gang fight between you and the demons in the house. Did I make myself clear? Okay, let's move on to spiritual attachment. You could be in a house or you're a Christian. <laughs> this one's kind of funny too. Um, I keep getting these cases that pop up. So spiritual attachment is when you go to somewhere that's haunted or spiritually infested and you get those hitchhiking ghosts from Disneyland. You know, you're on the Disneyland haunted mansion ride. And those ghosts, the thumbs are thumbing. You got one of those guys and they hitched a ride home with you. <laughs> Sometime back, I'm going to tell a story now because it's funny. Oh, this was a couple years ago. This one gal reached out to me and she was having a lot of haunting stuff going on. And she had spiritual discernment, but she passed herself off as a Christian psychic. And so she went to help these paranormal people and the stuff wouldn't come off her. And so she eventually reached out to me and I helped her twice, I think. And then the third time she reached out, it was happening again. So, okay, fine. Um, but she was out of my jurisdiction. So I'm working with her on the phone and off and on. And then I found another church. I go, hey, I'm feeling a conviction of the Holy Spirit that I should train this church to help her because out of my jurisdiction and it's, it, you know, if I trained you guys spiritual warfare, you're willing to take this on. They go, yeah, let's, let's put together a time and date to get this happening and stuff and we'll get this rolling. So I was going to train a church to help her. And it turns out she took something the wrong way on one of my podcasts and thought it was about her. And her demons whisper near Mike's talking to you about this you. And so she posted one of my comments on the, 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 um, the podcast, I hate this guy. You know, I used to think he was really good. Now I'm mad at him. And I'm sitting there going, what on earth did triggered you? You know, and I'm sitting there laughing because I just had to put, while she's going off on me, I just put together a church that would help her. And I'm thinking, you know what? I'm not going to hook this church up with her if she has behavioral issues and she doesn't have spiritual maturity. Obviously she doesn't. She's going back to her own vomit. So, you know, I trained a church and she didn't get help from it. It's just, it is what it is. You're going to have to do weird things like this. It's just, but she had a spiritual attachment. If you look at all the ghost hunters, you know, I like armchairing some of this stuff to see how off base some of these ghost hunters are on TV. The one, um, Nick Groff, Paranormal Lockdown. It's an old show, but I was catching some of them on re review while I'm rowing. I do indoor rowing in the morning to work out. And that guy is massively spiritually afflicted and has attachments. And these ghosts all hop home with him. And he'll do stuff like he'll go back to the haunting to provoke the demon. So he'll leave him there. And it comes back with them. They don't have a clue to remove spiritual attachments that followed him home. It's sad though. They don't want to do anything Christian. I know the, the, the female host that was on them too is um, Katrina something. She goes, all these Christians don't know how to do um, remove demons. I'm going, the heck we don't. You know, you guys wouldn't be in the situation you are if you listened. <laughs> First of all, don't be in that situation. Second of all, yeah, we know how to remove them, but you can never go back to that. You know, it's just, it's crazy. So spiritual attachments is next. And then that one, and then the next one up is spiritual possession. That's where you're completely compromised. Usually, Spiritual attachment and spiritual possession go hand in hand. If you get spiritual attachment, you're on your road to possession. Spiritual possession can happen to a Christian, but they have to do something really stupid, you know, like go ghost hunting or something like that. Or just, you know, sleep with a, a witch or something. It's just, you know, you totally break out of what the Holy Spirit's saying. I wouldn't do that. You go, I'm going to do it anyway. You know, forget you. I'm not going to listen to the Holy Spirit convictions or I'm listening to Jesus. You find yourselves in these predicaments. 
I shared one case that was recent, probably about two years ago. This was, this was the interesting one with me. It was a, a Christian family. They got divorced, and I know the son was DID, had dissociative identity disorder, just from detachment from what was going on through the divorce. And in his teen years, he decided to join a gang, and the gang was into, um, well, that Santa Maria, where it was. So he did some sacrifices, right? Blood sacrifices. Here we go. So this dude was possessed. So his mom brings him in. You know, I get the phone call. I think my son has demonic issues. Can you talk with him? And so it's like, oh, fine, bring him in. Here we go again, right? And I thought, okay, <laughs> whatever. So the guy gets to my office and he won't even walk in the office door. The demons won't let him in <laughs> the front door. And so I finally coax him in. I go, why don't you sit in the waiting room here and wait and wait it off? And he go, can I get you in my office now? He's like, yeah, I guess so. So he sits in my office and <laughs> these demons just pop up right away, you know? And I'm like, oh my God, I guess we got a live one here, you know? Here it is. And so... I told him, okay, go down a second. Go down. I want to hear the story. What's going on here? So I told Demons, go down. Talking to the guy, he starts telling me he's in all of this gang and he's done, um, he's into satanic witchcraft and all this other stuff. And his mom is a, and his parents are Christians. He went to a Christian school, a big Christian school in the area. And his mom tried to send him off to Teen Challenge. Teen Challenge sent him back. He's possessed. So, <laughs> so I'm sitting here in my, um, my office with him trying to get a feel for what's going on i triggered something that made the demon mad this is what's crazy so the guy's sitting on the couch across my room i'm sitting at my chair um looking at him and demonic hands from across the room reach in and grab my old surgery scars when i had my gallbladder removed about six months prior and just tug on them and the kid's eyes just roll in the back of his head and it, it was on there it was a power encounter that was on and the kid was shaking like crazy. The demon didn't know what the heck to do. It was like, you know, picked a fight with the wrong person. I told him, hey, I'm not the normal pastors you deal with. I deal with this for a living. I said, I'm not going to tolerate this here. And they went back down. He was still shaking. And I go, well, what do you think of that? I said, all your witchcraft you've combined so far can't take me on. They can't because I'm with Jesus. I'm with Jesus 100%. He's like shaking. I go, well, you know, what do you want to do? He never wanted to give up his witchcraft. He never did. He said, after he had the power encounter, you know, that God just really just slapped that demon across the face and shook it silly. That, you know, these guys don't come to Jesus. He eventually lied because mom wanted to send him back to Teen Challenge. He didn't want to go to Teen Challenge. So he did a fake um, salvation. Here we go, right? In church. And his mom goes, oh, you know what? And like a week later, oh, he was saved by Jesus. I'm sitting there going, that wasn't the guy that walked into my office. He was nowhere ready to be saved by Jesus. He just wants to manipulate mom. Then I have to go have teen challenge. And so what has to happen here, this kid needed a full-on exorcism. And I need to burn all his um, fetishes, his witchcraft fetishes in front of him as he renounced it. He never did. I had mom bag him up. I actually went back a week later, I think, to his house, do a house blessing. Because his sister moved into his room after he moved out or something. I go, why are you in his room? He goes, oh, it just feels weird in here. I go, yeah, well, hell yeah, the demons are still in here. <laughs> so we had to bless the room and we collected his fetishes and I had him in Ziploc bags. And I told mom, I go, when he's ready, don't get rid of these. We have to do an exorcism. He has to um, repent of these, renounce them, and then we burn them. And the, he never had the exorcism, you know, and the demons are still there. I know, I know it's been a few years now and he's feud, uh, fooled quite a few people on this one, but the demons keep popping up, you know, and it's just, he's not, he's not Christian yet. He didn't get saved. But a lot of people go, well, how can a Christian have a demon? Well, if he, they're fooling you, and they're telling you they're saved, and they have a demon, that's how they have a demon, okay? It's, it's crazy.
So discerning affliction or behavior. When that young man who was possessed came in my room, I felt it. I felt it in my chest. I felt it in my head. I usually feel it right away too. It, it could be quiet and all of a sudden the people are in my office and it's a demonic oppression too. You feel it come on. I don't usually tell the people. I call it tactical information. So I want to see what's going on. Uh, many times I'll pray under my breath to provoke it. You know, like say something like uh, under my breath, I'll pray like Revelation 20 or something. You know, that an angel came down and threw Satan into the, into the pit. And so they can't hear me and to see if they get distraught and start, you know, squiggling. And that we kind of confirm, okay, there's something manifesting. If not, they may try to convince you it's demonic. They spend a lot of their time and there's no manifestations, nothing happening. You're going, what is going on here? It may be behavioral or maybe dissociative identity disorder. I had one young woman, she was in her 30s. She had she was dissociated. A lot of times too, there's dissociated women. They can be in their 30s or 40s and look 18. It's just something weird about how these um, dissociated parts work. If they have young parts, they can look younger than they are. That's another thing to look for. How, you're 30? How come you look 18? You know, and just it's just stuff like that you start piecing together. I start looking for the behavioral if everything's failing on the affliction side. You could do them. I don't like doing the deliverance prayer on them because many times they'll act it out like a demon's coming up or something. I want to be thorough first. Many times I'll go down the route of checking for dissociations and as I, they may have my office for an hour until they get comfortable with me, and I'll throw it out there. Hey, so which one of you parts would like to talk to me? They're going, what? Which one of you young parts would like to talk to me? And they'll pause. How did you know? They know it. They know what's going on. They don't want to tell people because a church would rather shun a person as being mentally ill than if they had a demon. And that's that's what we project, right? Or let me check the, we project that mental illness is demonic. It's not. The mental illness may have been caused by something demonic, like severe trauma, or some illness, but that doesn't indicate the presence of a demon. The other problem I have too is I'm alluding to here is the reason I don't go to deliverance prayer first is I don't know, countless people have been through deliverance ministries before they get to my office and they know how to be delivered. And that really messes things up. I have to undo everything. So if I'm praying, all of a sudden they're coughing right away. Go, why are you coughing? Oh, it's coming up. You know, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling demonic presence. And they'll stop like, what? Well, I work with this guy. I work with that person. I worked with an exorcist, you know, Roman Catholic exorcist. We had stuff coming up. And I go, it's not coming up. There's nothing here. And they'll get mad at me because I'm telling them it's not a demon. So tell me more about what's going on here. What's happening? You know, tell me about your past history. What's, what, what happened? Um, usually by this time now, I just, I just start with history first. I even have a, um, a form for them to fill out to let me know what's going on. I had uh, the one guy I'm talking about here, I had brought in, she was 30 years old. Um, she told her mom it was a demon and it was actually dissociated identity disorder. I actually believe she was richly abused because I never got that far with her because she would never tell her mom the truth that she had dissociations. And her mom wouldn't believe the truth either. Her mom kept saying, did you kick the demons out after the counseling? I said, we're not working with demons. Well, that's what I'm paying you for. I go, no, you're paying for me to get, for her to get well. We're beyond kicking out demons. We're beyond that. And every week, did you kick the demon out? Well, how many more weeks till you kick the demon out? Because the girl would go home and say, oh, Mike worked me kicking the demons out. So she was lying to her mom and mom wouldn't listen. So finally, I was like, you know what? Let's part ways. I don't have time for this. I ain't got time for that. So that's the way I am. You know, I'll punt people. You may have to be um, up for punting people. I had a pretty good video too. Oh, which one was it? Let me pull this up here a second because... You know me, I get in trouble doing stuff. 
<laughs> Always getting myself in trouble. Hey, what would life be without this, right? There's good ways to get in trouble, though. You know, I'm not talking about sinful ways. Where is it? It is... Ah, here it is. It's episode 35, Tales of Glory Fireside Chat, comments on children's deliverance sessions. There is a live action one there of a session where this girl's using methodologies. She doesn't understand deliverance, puts on a good show, but the children there have been delivered so many times they know what to do. That's kind of what I'm talking about. So it's episode 35, write that one down, go look at it. it um, I'd like to say it's funny, but it's not because it involves children. But if it had adults or something, it just, it'd just be like, what not to do for deliverance? This is what not to do. Anyhow, that's where we're at. We just wrapped up um, a field guide to advanced spiritual warfare, chapter 11, spiritual affliction. There's a lot more in the book. I tried to cover different things, so it wouldn't be disinteresting to you guys. So if you don't have a field guide to advanced spiritual warfare, go ahead and pick it up. And that's it for today. I'm going to try to keep it short for you guys. You guys are amazing. Again, check out a field guide to spiritual warfare.blogspot.com and check out AFG number two, SW.com, a field guide to spiritual warfare.com. AFG number two, SW.com. And that should do it. Again, we're crowdfunded, man. We're still trying to survive from this, this um, Biden-demic stuff going on here with <laughs> past pandemic. It's Biden-demic, right? So we would love to be crowdfunded to help put on more material and keep the show going. You guys are amazing. Again, this is always free. I keep getting reminded. I know I hate asking for money. Because I get reminded of an old um, <laughs> deliverance ministry show I was listening to. This person actually wasn't getting any money. So she put on this whole show about how you, she was, you were stealing from her by listening and not building money. And I was dying laughing and how it was a spirit. It's like, no, no, this is for free. It'll always be for free. Uh, I just want to get information out to you guys. I'm more trying to correct the uh, community out there, spiritual warfare, and get you guys the right information. That's what it's all about. It's about passion, not about money. So <laughs> if you guys so feel, send money, that's great. If not, this is a free show, you know? And I even go through my books. Somebody sent me one time, you're just trying to sell books, Mike. Yeah, I am, but why am I going through them on the podcast for free? I'll start probably going through um, cosmology and demonology later on down the road after a few books have sold. And just go through that too. Just because I want to cover basis and everything. So you guys are amazing. And I love you guys. And I think maybe we'll jump on St. Teresa of Avila next. Oh, you know what's coming next after the next chapter? I think it's chapter 12. We're going to start getting to manifestations of um, demons here and people. And that's going to be the next time I cover the field guide to advanced spiritual warfare. Be chapter 12 on spiritual manifestations and talk about what they look like and how to deal with them. Anyhow. You guys are awesome. Talk to you later. God bless. And until then, my friends, from the M16 Bunker, I am signing off.